Hey, Work Positive Nation, how well is your company managing the hybrid, remote, gotta come into the office to work conversation? I mean, it's a hot topic, right? It's here to stay. What will it take for your company to succeed in this nouveau reality? The pandemic taught us so many things. Very valuable lessons, right? One of them stands out. Adapt or die. Some company cultures adapted and actually thrive in today's new work model. What's their secret? My guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast is a culture thought leader who knows the answer and shares it today. His practical, meticulously researched book provides the roadmap that you're looking for. So listen up, Work Positive Nation, lean in and learn this secret. Welcome to the Work Positive Podcast with your host, executive coach and culture architect, Dr. Joey Fawcett. Discover strategies and tactics that work positive as Dr. Joey talks with industry leaders who create a positive work culture that attracts top talent and reduces team turnover. Discover how you can create a work positive culture that increases productivity and profits. Here's your host, Dr. Joey. Work Positive Nation, help me welcome to this episode of the Work Positive Podcast, Gustavo Rossetti. Gustavo, I am so stoked about talking to you today. Thanks for being on. My pleasure, Dr. Joey. Great to be here. Very excited to have a wonderful conversation with you and your audience. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, the gift of your time and especially your wisdom today because, man, you've done research in an area that is impacting our lives daily, daily, daily. I was telling you before we came on and started recording this podcast that um, our older daughter has been caught up in the tech layoffs, right? Mm-hmm. And so she um, has been used to working um remote, I guess we can call it. There's, We'll talk about that in a minute. There's all sorts of names for it, right? Uh, We're not going to call it distant. I can promise you that, Work Positive Nation, because Gustavo's book is Remote, Not Distant. So if you want to jump over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble right now, be looking at that. Uh, It's it's an amazing book, meticulously researched. So anyway, she's been um, used to working um, distributed is another way of talking about it, right? And, and so she's um, looking for another job. And some of these companies are jumping right up in there. And I know a lot of Work Positive Nation is experiencing this. They're jumping right in and saying, hey, you got to come into the office, into this building, in this space. You have to be physically present right here for Tuesdays and Thursdays. Or depending on which team you're on, it could be Mondays and Tuesdays or something like that. So your research is speaking right into where many of us in Work Positive Nation are living right now. And companies are really struggling. I mean, you've got guys like Elon Musk texting out at 2.30 in the morning. I don't know what it is about early morning hours that these guys prefer to text. (laughs) They're tweeting, actually. I'm I'm not looking at Twitter at that time of day. But anyway, you know, uh, all all of our Twitter people have to come in the office now. Uh, Steve Jobs is really, uh, well, rather, uh, Jeff Bezos is really pushing people at Amazon, you know, saying you got to come into the office now. Talk to us about this conversation. I mean, it's it's almost like a fruit basket turnover about whether or not we have to be physically present at work, right? 
Absolutely. I think that the there are two things there. First, the need for control. So leaders don't really trust people. And every time I say these people get, oh, that's not the case. But well, what's the issue with physicality? There's no research that actually shows that being in the same place increases productivity. It actually harms because there are more interruptions when you're in the same place working together because you're trying to write a an email, a presentation, and someone's having a coffee over there. Say, hey, <laughs> Dr. Joey, how are you? And, they start, and then your focus goes completely off the rails. Uh, the, the, exactly. the need for control is basically to dictate when and how people work because leaders don't trust their employees. And that's, for me, the most important thing. On the other hand, we need to understand that when we talk about remote or we talk about working in the office, they're not like enemies. They're not like we shouldn't think in binary terms that it's one or the other. It's about understanding when we need each of them. So, for example, for certain elements, when there are urgent topics, when there are things that require more kind of brainstorming or complex solutions, working in real time and in maybe the same place helps. However, 60, 70% of the tasks that team need to do, they don't require to be there. For writing emails, to write a presentation, to do research, etc. I don't need to talk to my clients. I don't need to be with my colleagues next to me. Mm, well, our three-year-old granddaughter, Gustavo, is playing t-ball for the very first time. And uh-huh. I noticed at the first game, you know, we were all cheering and, and <laughs> she's coming to bat for the first time and she's all excited. She can't focus on the pitcher tossing the ball to her. They do it six times before they hit off the tee. She can't focus on the ball coming to her for all of us cheering. So when you're talking about, you know, we're in an office space and you're trying to get in the flow, right? The high yeah. performance, peak performance, productivity space that we all want to be in. It, it's like her, right? On the t-ball field. There are people, even if they're cheering for us, it's distracting. Absolutely. So every great uh, study that you're talking about notes this relationship on the part of leaders between control and not trusting people. That that's mm-hmm. a that's a big statement. I know you say people push back on that. Talk to us a little bit more about our dare I say more traditional focus on control and lack of trust and how we can transition, how we can transform from that to more autonomy for our teams and attracting top talent that we can trust. Absolutely. The paradox is that those companies that have provided or are providing more freedom to their employees are increasing ownership and increasing accountability. I have an example that I, I like to share with CEOs when I'm working with my clients that a couple of years ago, Netflix, for example, they used to have a very restrictive, very prescriptive a travel policy, telling people what type of airfare, hotel, et cetera, they should take depending on their role, their title, et cetera. Gotcha. So they decided to ditch that and say, no, we're going to trust people. And they came up with the policy that it's basically one norm that says, do what's best for Netflix. And they allow people to make their own choices. Hmm. So complete freedom. People would say, hey, now people are taking private jets. They're spending all company money, right? (laughs) However, 
the facts are that since people were giving absolute freedom to make their choices, the company is spending less money in trouble than when finance and operations were controlling everything. Wow. And there are hundreds of examples like that in which basically when we provide employees with freedom, they feel trusted, they feel treated like grown-ups, so they feel responsible. When leaders are over-controlling people and people feel treated like kids, first, they're going to be demotivated. But most important, they say, okay, if you don't trust me, I'm going to act like if you don't, like, uh, I'm going to become not untrusted. <laughs> <and> <laughs> it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it, Gustavo? Absolutely, if, yeah. If you trust me and, and set up what's best for Netflix in this case, then I'll act trustworthy because I somehow want to belong to that greater good. Uh, well, then what is it about our traditional approach to leadership that prompts us just not to trust people when obviously the research is the opposite? I think that sometimes uh, many people get to those. We, we tend to use leadership and executive or think in terms of leadership and executive positions like the same, that you made it to the top either to run a team or run a department or run the whole organization doesn't mean that you're a leader. You're just holding an executive position. And I think that we get confused, like, for example, being a leader requires a set of talents that usually people don't get in business schools. And in most cases, people get promoted in a mm. company because of their achievements, not because of their ability to actually lead people, That's right. which are two separate things. Mm. Uh, for me, one thing that's important, in many cases, leaders are not aware of how their behaviors send specific actions that are based on what are their assumptions about people. We talk about freedom. There's a company uh, from France, metallurgical uh, company that uh, manufactures auto parts. Okay. Uh, and basically, uh, they realized they had a, a norm in place that every time a machine operator damaged their uh, working gloves, they have to go and to their supervisors, get a note, then go to another a building, stay in the line, show the damaged gloves, the, the certificate, whatever it was given by there, and then finally got their new pair of gloves and go back to work. Mm. The CEO realized that what was supposed that norm to prevent people from stealing three euros gloves <laughs> was basically causing more harm than good. First, because it costed the company much more. So people have to waste one hour to get a new pair of gloves. So they wow. stopped manufacturing. That's about 4,000 euros, mm. right, that the company was losing. Mm. But the most important thing is the underlying message was, we think that you are a thief. We think we don't trust you because you're going to steal the gloves. So, of course, they ditch the norm. So I think that leaders need to understand that there are many norms in the workplace that are sending messages, that are signals that we're not trusting people. Hmm. Wow. Over a three-year pair of gloves. We're making them stand in line and shutting down production. That's amazing. I, I guess the simple solution is oftentimes overlooked, right? Throw the gloves away and get yourself another pair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds almost too simple, but uh, wow. We, we do become entrenched in these familiar patterns, and we won't mm -hmm. geek out on the neuroscience necessarily, but we know that our minds, our brains prefer the routine, the norms that we establish. How can we, in establishing a positive work culture, Gustavo, 
become aware of situations like that, that I'm losing an hour of productivity and it's costing me, you know, a hundred times, 10 times, whatever, um, the, the actual task that I'm doing, how do we become aware of those kinds of work patterns and, and do something different and transform away from it? I think there are two steps and they're like everything in life, simple, but not simple to execute, right? Simple, but not first, easy, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, a colleague of mine, Dr. Etasha Urich, who wrote a book about a, 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 that's called Insight, that's called that's all about research, her research on self-awareness, basically says that the majority of people, and especially leaders, over 95% believe that they know themselves really well, well that they are very self-aware. Oh, wow. However, only a fraction of those are really self-aware. And especially when it comes to leaders, only 3 to 5% know themselves well. So mm-hmm. basically, they're full of blind spots. So the first step would be to realize that you don't know what you don't know. Then when you as a leader stop thinking that you have all the answers, that you are the the, the expert in every in every <laughs> aspect of your business, the second step is to invite your people to understand what's working, what's not working, but most importantly, what am I what am I missing? We talk about underlying assumptions. There's an exercise we do with executive, which is inviting their team members to tell them what are the messages that the company is sending to their employees that leaders are not aware. So basically make the implicit explicit. Wow, that's amazing because you don't know what you don't know. But it takes a great subjugation of one's ego <laughs> to admit, I don't know what I don't know. And secondly, I need you people to tell me what I don't know. And most executive leaders particularly get to where they are because they have a strong sense of self and therefore the ego is well-developed. How, how do I back down off that ladder that I've climbed, Gustavo, to say, I don't know what I don't know? I think there are two things. I always say when we do leadership training, it's like before thinking of how to lead others and how to lead the organization, you need to learn how to lead yourself. Mm. And, and that's a challenge because most people don't know that. And if we don't overcome that. But the second, and that's more structural, there's a lot of research that shows that we admire the wrong type of leader and we promote the wrong type of leader so mm. the society likes i always say the mel gibson a, a kind of character Braveheart, right <laughs> yeah, brave heart he's the only one going first uh, taking all the risk and killing twelve thousand people like you know <laughs> and we like that stuff we believe the the heroic type of leadership yeah. you know the one that's going to make everything and then the rest we are followers oh. we don't need followers we mm. need people in today's complex world we need people People that bring divergent perspective, that have the skills that no leader can ever acquire because mm. of the complexity of today's workplace. And we need to embrace that. Mm. Research shows that we tend to admire leaders that have a big ego, that are our, a very extroverted, that are that have a very a seductive personalities and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But in the end, the most effective leaders in most of the cases, tend to be women, but that's a separate conversation, (laughs) are self-aware. They tend to be more introverted. It's not about them. They're more about listening that Mm. they lead with questions more than lead with answers. Mm. So it's a different type of leaders. So the leaders that we admire, the type of leadership are the less effective leaders. Mm. And that's a a societal thing that we need to change. Yeah. Well, you know, Gustavo, we might admire a Mel Gibson type of leader, but what we really want 
uh, when it comes to the end of the day, we want, okay, most of them are women. We want a collaborative leader who's an active listener and leads with powerful questions. So we complain, at least it seems to me, in the companies we work with, we hear complaints about those leaders who aren't mm-hmm. listening, who aren't collaborative, and yet we admire these leaders. So how can we, as a part of uh, the teams, if you will, empower ourselves to be able to seek to be more collaborative and to help create that more collaborative environment? Yeah, I think it's difficult because if you're a leader that want to, first of all, it, most leaders are nurtured by leaders that practice what the global narrative tells them to embrace. No, so no. it's a model. No, it's a <laughs> we're passing on that that uh, model. However, it, it takes a lot of. Uh, I'm going to think twice before I say the word. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage <laughs> <laughs> to basically go against convention. But yes. the leaders that have been able to do that are really, really successful. Yes. Satya Nadella in Microsoft. Microsoft used to be a very top-down, very aggressive culture. It was everyone against everyone because it was all about getting results, hmm. lack of trust, lack of a lot of a, 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 a people basically attacking their own colleagues. So it wasn't really good. And he basically changed the culture by changing how he lead. And basically, first of all, he acknowledged what was wrong in the company. Mm. And I think this is critical. Leaders are afraid that if they say, hey, something here is not working, that people are going to feel, oh, we are not great company. I better leave. And actually, when when we share that we are in trouble is when people become more uh, aware and also more interested in helping the company grow. When you tell them a um, BS story that everything's picture perfect, people say, oh, sure, they get detached. Nobody but when you tell it. them, hey, Houston, we have a problem, they want to jump into that. So I think that he's a great example of a leader that self-aware, a, a intellectual, a humble, no? so intellectually humble, recognizing his limitations. That's why I'm paying you guys a lot of money to help me see the things that I'm missing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. So what I've got to do is trust myself enough to give up control and trust others. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and to be secure in who I am at that point. Vulnerability, authenticity, those kinds of things really go a long ways. And I know we're talking about stuff that sounds squishy to some of you in Work Positive Nation, but actually this drives results and goes right to the bottom line, doesn't it, Gustavo? Absolutely. And this is the thing in today's world, everything can be, or almost everything can be measured. Mm-hmm. So in the past, there was a, a thinking of, oh, we hired this guy and they're going to change the company around. It was more like a hope. Mm-hmm. And actually, for example, boards tend to uh, pay much more to leaders that are more aggressive, more uh, seductive, more extroverted, mm-hmm. even if they're not delivering results. <laughs> and that's something... <laughs> That's very, really, really funny. However, in today's world, we know that what's the right of leadership that we need in a more collaborative environment in which Mm -hmm. we need to collaborate not only across our own team, across departments, but also with other companies, with other businesses. Like, for example, what happened with COVID, it it was the COVID vaccine was a result of global collaboration between people that in the past seen each other, saw each other as enemies, you know, different pharmaceutical companies started sharing information that they never shared in the past. Mm. And what happened? Everyone kind of won. And I think that when we realize that, 
there's a lot of uh, hope for a better leadership and better organizations. Mm, I love it. I love it. So let's say I'm working towards creating this type of culture. Now, we're, we're going to get to remote, not distant in just a second. But let's say I'm seeking to attract top talent to our okay. teams based on the type of culture that we're describing here. How do I communicate that in the attraction process? And please note that we're talking about attraction, not recruitment. So we're not trying to sell somebody a bill of goods, right? To, to get yeah. <laughs> we're, we're trying to attract them into this kind of culture we're talking about. What's that conversation sound like, Gustavo? I think that the most important thing is understand usually people say, I want to hire the best talent. And there's no such a thing as best talent. You have mm. to have, hire the right talent because what works for your company, mm -hmm. some people might be a great fit for your organization, but not for others. So okay. I think that rather than try to hire generic best talent, we need mm -hmm. to identify what's the right talent for my company. Who are the mm -hmm. type of people that are going to thrive and who are the people that we won't uh, want, for example. Mm -hmm. And that that creates a little bit of a, a, an environment. I think the culture in the end, if you have the right culture, people are going to recruit their friends or their friends' friends. I always, no offense for HR people, but I always say that I don't like the incentives that are being paid for people to bring other people. Imagine mm -hmm. that you're celebrating your a birthday or your granddaughter's birthday, would yes. you pay her friends to bring other friends to the party? <laughs> or you want the people who really want to show up there? I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. There's an intangible bonus, right? And, and that is exactly. that I get to work with my friend or I get to work with top talent. So why do we think that money is the, the incentive? The moment you say that you have to pay someone to bring someone the underlying message is we're not good enough. Yeah. We're overcompensating for, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. I love it. Yeah. Well, I can assure you that uh, my, my daughter uh, had to winnow the list down. There were so many friends and she didn't pay anybody. To come. <laughs> Although they did all bring gifts. So maybe in a way. <laughs> Oh, but I love but the that. are for her. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was about her. Um, so why, hmm, why do we incentivize people to to bring others when it should be? I want to. I'm so excited about the culture in which I work. I'm in the flow. I'm gaining meaning, purpose, satisfaction. This is a place where I belong because my daily tasks connect with the company mission. You know, it, it's that kind of environment that should attract others. So then, it's really an attraction factor, right? Absolutely. And I think that, of course, the war for talent is not easy. So people have been trying different things to become the option for talent to join them. But in the end, if, for example, companies saying, I'm going to offer you a sign up bonus. Okay. How much money? And then it becomes, then people are going to ask the next uh, organization to raise that offer and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. So it becomes transactional and people are not joining the company because you are their best choice. It's because who's giving me the most stuff. I'm not saying that money doesn't matter, but if people are only joining your company because of the offer, the, the economic offer, then you have a bigger problem. Exactly. Because they're going to leave for a better offer as well. So when it comes time to talk about reducing team turnover, the conversation is not let's give bigger bonuses what is the conversation to reducing team turnover, Gustavo? 
I think the most important thing, we talk a lot about culture and you make sure culture something sometimes maybe for the audience might feel a bit fluffy and, and hard to mm-hmm. grasp. But in the end, culture is an accelerator of people's performance, but most importantly, of people's motivation. The number one, we talk a lot about engagement. Engagement feels like a made, it feels no, it's a made up term by <laughs> companies, but what does it mean? People don't tell to your friends, I'm engaged at work. You never use that when having a beer with <laughs> yeah. your friends, right? Right. However, people are very excited when they go to your farm and they say, hey, Dr. Joy, you know what? I did this amazing project. So people feel excited about doing great work. Mm. So when your culture allows people to do the best work, that's the best way to keep them there because they're not going to lose that opportunity to do their best work and continue growing their talents and learning and becoming a master, mastering what they're really good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that culture, I love that. The culture is an accelerator of people's performance and more to the point, their motivation. So, you know, we, we talk about two and a half to 10 X is what it cost you mm-hmm. to replace someone uh, when they leave your your company, but if culture is the accelerator of their performance, then they're naturally engaged with the work, and so reducing team turnover is not an issue at all, right? It's just mm-hmm. a matter yeah. of when people make choices to retire or things like that, right? So we we really are back to creating legacy companies that care for their people while innovating and creating, aren't we, Gustavo? Definitely. I think that in the past, like a couple of decades ago, most organizations were focusing in nurturing and seeding those talent of the future. Now organizations are more in the short term. There are two challenges. Some companies were stuck with people that never kind of grew out of that comfort zone and yeah. that basically hindered innovation. But now we went to the other extreme that we're always churning talent and we are not building a strong culture and we're not developing the talent of the future because we are so much into the day to day that the companies are not investing. They have cut a lot of uh, training and a lot of programs that they used to have in the future to develop future leaders. And I think we need to find a balance between a very rigid tribal company in which people basically mm-hmm. develop their entire career and they were waiting for that gold watch. And when they got the 50 anniversary yeah. from now, people last a year or so, and then they move to another thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they really do. Gustavo Rossetti is my guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Fearlessculture.design is the website. And so if you want to go there and uh, be leafing through some pages as you're listening to this, go there now. Fearlessculture.design culture.design. If you're walking the dog around the Peloton, it's in the show notes. So help yourself when you when you get both hands free, right? Gustavo, what are some of the big challenges you're seeing in companies today that they're facing in creating a positive work culture? That's a good thing. I think that uh, the mindset that there's a perfect culture. So the, the need for perfectionism it's basically about firing. And perfectionism basically plays to the extremes. And one extreme, the typical perfectionist, is nothing's ever good enough. So that Mm. culture, that type of leadership, never appreciates the good in people, never celebrates accomplishment, and it's always always focusing on what's missing or what's broken. Mm. So people always feel like demotivated. On their hand, there's the toxic positivity 
perfectionism. So people that are so in love with your company that they only get to see the bright side. It's mm. all about cheer up and there's no room for disagreement. There's no room for bad news. Everything has to be positive. And if you mm. bring up a problem, you're an naysayer or a negative or you, you are not part of us because you don't appreciate how good we are. Mm. So I think we need to hand a more integrated approach in which we understand that no companies are not perfect and they never will be. And we need to understand what's the good within, how can we protect it, how can we build, and what are the challenges that we have address conflict in the open and focus on fixing it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, we we talk about a work positive culture as being one that focuses on the positive and filters out the negative. So that is, if we're filtering the negative, what can we learn from the negative Mm -hmm. lessons, but we're focusing on the positive strengths of the company and how we can take that forward. Um, I I was reading someone and her name escapes me right now, but she was talking about the tyranny of the positive. And uh, it seems to me that the companies that really succeed in creating their own customized great culture, right? If you want to talk about it like that, one that suits them best and and their particular function is one in which belonging is accelerated. So I can, let's say you're, you're my leader, Gustavo, let's say I can disagree with something you say, but we do that agreeably. And then working collaboratively, we create a solution that's greater than either one of us could have done alone. Absolutely. And I'm looking at your mic and I think the word there, positive, it's positive positive intent. And I think that organizations that build on the positive also assume that when people challenge your thinking, where people don't agree or whatever, it's coming from a positive intent. They try, they, they have good intentions. They're trying to have a constructive conversations, not to harm you, not to attack you, not mm-hmm. to basically complicate things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we have each other's good at heart and we're trying to grow each other. And it's like iron sharpens iron, right? So we're, we're exactly. working together to create that. <laughs> that sharpness uh, within each other. I always figured, Gustavo, that if if you and I have to agree on everything, one of us is unnecessary. Absolutely, and it would be boring, right? <laughs> I think it'd be totally boring. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Gustavo Rossetti is my guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Um, Work Positive Nation is definitely going to want to interact with you more and discover more. So when we go to fearlessculture.design, what are we going to discover there? Uh, many things, but we can start with the freebies. There are over 500 articles about culture leadership, but very in-depth and very deep things that you can get. We also have many tools that you can download with their facilitation guides that you can use to address some of the topics that we were discussing and have better conversations with your teams. But also we offer for those who need support from training to consulting to help your team or your company build a fearless culture. Mm, I love it. And you had me at freebies, right? (laughs) We're we're all looking for those. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Tell me, what am I going to find when I order on my Kindle? Remote, not distant, your book. I think two things. The book is a book about culture with an emphasis on remote and hybrid work. So most of, so I think that is a two by one in the sense that there are books about culture and there are books about remote work. Mm -hmm. And and ones are very fluffy and the latter are a little bit more about specific 
tools and stuff. In my case, I think if you don't address the culture issues, mm. you cannot basically improve how you're going to work in a remote environment. Mm. And the book is full with insights. I research a lot, but also I interview many people. So there's a lot of, it's not just Gustavo's uh, thoughts, but okay. also incorporate thinking from people from different uh, backgrounds, from leaders, from consultants, uh, researchers. Mm. And also there are going to be a lot of tools. There's a five-step a roadmap for you to design your own culture. There's no recipes. I uh, I basically avoid those. Mm-hmm. I basically provide people with frameworks so they can create their own. And the book has a lot of examples from different types of companies to inspire you, not for you to copy. Oh, that's amazing. I can't wait to get my copy and dig in and start reading. Um, so through your website, fearlessculture.design, is there a contact form or in the book, is there some way of Work Positive Nation can reach out to you, Gustavo? Absolutely. There's a contact form in the website. And if not, you can reach out to my email, which is gustavo at fearlessculture.design. Wonderful. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Work Positive Nation. So all you have to do is click and and reach out to the amazing, I got to say it, the amazing Gustavo (laughs) Rossetti. I absolutely love this conversation with you. So Work Positive Nation always wants to know one thing for my guest, at least, and and doesn't want me to let you go until I ask that question, Gustavo. So (laughs) hang on just a minute more, buddy. What's one thing Work Positive Nation can do today to create the kind of positive work culture that we're talking about the most important thing would be start with acknowledging your own mistakes mm. or what you don't know so ask for help the moment you get in front of your team and say hey guys look we have this challenge and i don't have the answer and i want to invite you to provide input that's first it's magic because people want to contribute but also you're acknowledging that you are a wise leader that you need to have all the answers, that's what you have a great team. So start by acknowledging, hey, I need help. I'm human. How can it help me? Oh, wow. I love that. And it is a courageous process to do that. It does require that one be fearless to say, I don't have all the answers. I'm your leader. But together, I believe we can. So, wow, what a great one thing. Gustavo Rossetti is my guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Fearlessculture.design is where you want to go right now. And then skip on over and buy yourself the book, Remote Not Distant. Get it. Start reading it today. And then reach out to Gustavo at fearlessculture.design and just share some of your thoughts and responses with him. Uh, Gustavo, thank you so much. I've had a blast with you today. I can't wait till our next conversation. Thank you so much for being on the Work Positive Podcast. Thank you, Dr. Joey, for the invitation. Thank you for the audience. And as you said, reach out if you have any questions because we would like to hear feedback and, and continue the conversation offline. Take I'm care. sure we will. Thank you so much, Gustavo. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Please share this podcast with your friends who are HR and small business leaders so they can do one thing today to create a positive work culture that increases productivity and profits. I'd like to give you a free work positive course just for listening. It's called Something to Talk About, and it's transformed the work conversations of so many people all over the world. Get your free copy when you go to workpositive.today slash something to talk about and you can start transforming your conversations today. Remember, it pays to work positive.